And how do y'all? I'm Leslie. And I'm Laurie. Welcome to Sumo Kaboom. Sumo Kaboom. Where we talk about all things sumo. Yeah, that's right. Should I tell people what this is about or should we just surprise them? Should we do news? Let's do news Let's first. Let's do news and then, and then we'll, we'll jump into it. the inspiration for today. Yes, yes. Okay, so news flash. When you asketh, the sumo world delivereth. Uh, and four times delivereth. Yes. So this week was so joyful because every morning I woke up, not every morning, like every other morning, every other morning, maybe I woke up to the sounds of some of my favorite Rikishi performing their best karaoke songs in studio. Um, it was so joyful. Tedano Fuji went first. He sang a song called I Love You. And there was Nothing was, more joyful than to, to actually hear him say the words, I love you. I don't know why that's so exciting for me to hear them speak in English, mm-hmm. but uh, I was just like, I love you. And I was like, oh, Tedan of Fuji. And he had a great voice. Yeah, he does. He's a like, very sultry. Yes. He's got a nice range. He has yeah. some high notes. I mean, I it was mean, kind of a smoky, sexy tenor. Yes. It was great. Yeah. He had some riffing in there and a little raspiness. Yeah. Um, but it reminded me of lovely. like Don Henley or somebody like yeah. that. Yeah, for sure. He is very he's very Don Henley. Yes. Um, that was joyful. Enho's was really fun just because the intensity in which he sang. Yeah, well, and that song had a lot of range in it. Yes. I mean they it had just, a ton of range. He's got another tenor. I know. And then Oh No Show. And I have I have not seen Ono Shows yet, but I know Ono Show is a great singer. He is. What I love is like, it was funny. I, I don't know what I was looking at. Somebody on Twitter or something, like people are like, that everyone's loving it. Of course. But then, of course, there's a few people who are like critiquing and I've giggled because I'm like, are you kidding me? This is like the most amazing content. Yeah. Uh, the fact that these guys are all sumo wrestlers, they're pros at one thing in the world, and then they, they're all incredible karaoke singers. They're all great singers, and they're so earnest, and they don't care if they're perfect. They just sing with their full hearts, and it's just so joyous to me. I it, doubly like, agree. I absolutely love the it. best gift that came this week. So yep. Toby Zadu is next, and I saw a clip of him. Uh, by the way, Onosho, honestly... It's lovely. Yeah. Oh, good. I can't wait. It's like really high and he has like a rich voice, but it's a nice, sweet tenor and he has a lot of agility. Yeah. He chose like a tough song and he's emotionally like closes his eyes. It was really sweet. Well, and I've seen other clips of him singing in front of big crowds and he does it beautifully. So the guy knows how to use that nervous energy. Or even if they're not, I mean, they're so good at it or they they're so practiced at it that they're not even nervous anymore. Yeah. I love it. I love it. So many people are too shy to sing. They're like, I can't sing. But I'm like, these guys, even if they can't sing, they still sing. Yeah. And you get better the more you just sing. But Toby Zaru, I saw a clip of him, and he's, like, super intense. And, <laughs> and if there's anyone who might not be as good as the rest of them, I think it's going to be Toby Zaru, but I do not care. I mean, the fact that he did it, and he has this, like, little – his eyes that are so intense as, as he's singing. And, oh, I um, can't wait. I can't wait for that. To wake up in the morning and hear my morning rikishi, it's the greatest. Yeah, and you know what? 
whoever is behind that idea, just keep it coming. And I keep saying everywhere. This is the content we want. Put out a love album. (laughs) Put out a love song album, you guys, because we would buy that. Oh, yeah. You could make so much money if you just put out an album of love songs sung by Rikishi. That's right. And my thing, too, now is, you know, I'm going to put it out there to the world. This is my dream. Yeah. I'm going to learn a Japanese song, like one of these, or a popular duet so that when I go to Japan and when I meet sumo wrestlers, I'm going to be able to sing in Japanese a song that they know. Like the equivalent of Islands in the Stream. Yes. With or a rikishi. somewhere out there. Yes. Or some Aaron Neville, Linda Ronstadt yes. e- equivalent. Wouldn't that be a dream come true? Wouldn't it? I'm putting it out there. That's my dream. I, of course, I want to go see sumo. But really... I want to go and do karaoke with sumo wrestlers specifically. That is my goal. I'm putting it out to the world. First, we Maybe need Kone- to find... Konishiki will hear our, our prayer. And he could help us. And he could help us. I mean, I would just like to sing with Konishiki. Well, for... Oh, my God. Would that not be amazing? I could sing Islands in the Stream with Konishiki. Yes! Oh, I'm because gonna, I've got to know. I think we need to start street. singing this week. I think we do. What we really need help with is if anybody else out there knows a good Japanese duet song that we could learn, let us know. Yeah, popular, the equivalent of Linda Ronstadt, Aaron Neville. Yeah, popularity. Yeah. <laughs> Or, or Kenny Loggins, Dolly Parton. It's not Kenny Loggins. Kenny Loggins. Oh, is... you're right. Kenny Rogers. <laughs> Kenny Rogers. Although I would also gladly sing any Kenny Loggins, Dolly Partner. Yeah. Dolly Partner. <laughs> <laughs> we can't speak this morning, y'all. We're so Dolly Parton, flustered Kenny by the amazing Rogers. talent. But Kenny Loggins is never to be ignored. Everyone loves yes. Danger Zone. Yes. And that ballad from Top Gun. Meet me halfway <laughs> across the sky. Remember that one? Anyway. You did so many good ones. Convictions of the Heart. That's my fave. I've never heard of that one. Anyway, I'm not going to sing it. It's so good. Okay. Well, some other time we'll have a podcast dedicated solely to... to Kenny Loggins. Or just Kenny artists. Just Kenny's. Kenny Chesney, Kenny Loggins, <laughs> Kenny Rogers. All Kenny's. <laughs> There was another really neat piece of news that came through this week, and um, this is kind of a lead into what we're going to talk about today. And Great. it was this article, Ted Fuji was asked like what one of his inspirations was as far as what got him through the comeback to the position of Yokozuna. Mm-hmm. And he mentioned a sumo wrestler that had inspired him. And he was a sumo wrestler who was not uh, completely able-bodied. He had an arm that had, I think, as a as a child, maybe he lost it. I'm not it uh, farming. It got caught in an agricultural use cutter. So imagine yeah. the Fargo wood yeah. chipper. Yeah, something That happened like to that. him when he was a child. Yes. But he turned out to be a sumo wrestler. Yeah. And he was not going to let this affect his dream. And he became a really damn good sumo wrestler. And Tedanofuji mentioned this wrestler. And he's not somebody that, like, you know, the world knows. But for him, he kept looking at this wrestler and was like, look, if this guy can be as good as he can, and he is fighting um, with one less arm, like the the thing you use all the time when you go into, go into the doyo, like, what an inspiration. And then we were talking about... The inspiration of the Paralympics, which is coming up, the dates of the the Olympics are, I think, August 24th through like September 5th or something like that. And I started to kind of think and Laurie started to think about how inspiring athletes are that are Paralympians, people who are able-bodied wrestlers. That's amazing. But think of the wrestlers and the 
people all over the sports world that are not completely fully able-bodied. They're dealing with a challenge that nobody else can really understand, and they are overcoming it. We often watch the Olympics and turn it off, and we never really watch the Paralympics. But it's amazing. Do you know there's a woman? Uh, she's the most decorated Paralympian of all time. Her name is Trisha Zorn Hudson. She is a swimming. Uh, she's a swimming. A swimmer. Yeah, but an icon. Phenom. Yes. Because she's has like uh, like 55 gold medals, like something, uh, no, 55 medals in total, 41 gold, nine silver, and five bronze. She competed from 1988 to like 2000. Like she must have swam over many different Paralympic Games. Hopefully this next coming week, a lot of people will start watching the Paralympics because Mm -hmm. these athletes deserve our focus and our attention and they're doing amazing things. Mm -hmm. So, I wanted to start and talk about one of the most famous sumo wrestlers of all time. But then Laurie wants to talk about maybe some other wrestlers that you may not know are dealing with um, challenges. Well, my research took me in a lot of different directions. I have a little bit more on the wrestler who inspired Tara Fuji. Mm. I have a little bit about ASL, a little bit about what the JSA is doing to open up sumo to people with disabilities. Well, why don't you talk about that wrestler then, and then okay. I'll go into Futabayama, and then you can come back to. Okay. Let me tell you a little bit more about the wrestler that inspired Tara Fuji in that yes. article. Because it was really it was really neat to find out about that guy. Yeah, and it took a little bit of digging to find the documentary that Tara Fuji watched. It is out there. Oh. And I will put a link to it in our show notes. It's a 45-minute documentary. You have to use the automated subtitles, subtitles? in English, which sometimes are great and sometimes are not. <laughs> You know, your experience with yeah, subtitling. Yeah, they're like, and he did a horny attack from the left side yeah, star. And they're, like, not, what? they're not that bad, <laughs> but there's huge sections of it that don't have subtitles or someone will talk for a long time and the subtitle will be, I won. So you know you're not getting everything. <laughs> um, but it is really great to watch this guy. His name is Yoshiki Fusei, and I'm not sure if I'm saying the last name correctly. It's spelled F-U-S-E. Fusei. Yeah, I in English. He's uh, in his late 40s now, but he was active in the 1990s as this one-armed sumo wrestler. He lost part of his right arm below the elbow, so right. his hand and his forearm to an agricultural use cutter accident when he was in second grade. Wow. But he went on to become the captain of his school's sumo team. So through high school and even into college, he was doing sumo and was very, very good. He ran into some trouble in college. Like he sort of ran into that wall of what he could do. It seems like the documentary is about that moment in time where he was really trying to push the boundaries and maybe consider going pro, but he wasn't quite good enough to go. Mm -hmm. But what's great about it is you get to see him do sumo and to see him throw from each side, the right and the left. Mm -hmm. And you see how he uses his body differently. There's a great section in which they show footage of him to Chiono Fuji, who is wearing very early 90s acid wash jeans. And it's it's <laughs> worth watching the documentary. Chiono Fuji? Yes. Just to see him in those acid wash jeans. Oh, my gosh. 
he's a hottie no matter what jeans he's wearing, but I love it. Well, imagine those jeans on him and it, it kind of blew my mind. But uh, I mean, imagine doing sumo. I mean, when your only option is to do one-armed push-ups, you're pretty buff. Yeah. Yeah. He's yeah. doing tepo with one arm. He's doing all of the same exercises that any of them are doing, but with one arm. Fuji credited him as an inspiration, but interestingly, as they've reached out to him after that article came out, he's also said that Fuji is an inspiration to him. Aww. And he even went back into the sumo world in his 40s to begin coaching other people. So he's still doing sumo today. That's awesome. And e- each of them are inspired by the other one. I mean, when when it comes down to it, isn't that why we're here on this planet, to love each yeah. other and to inspire each other to become better? So I think it's yeah. really wonderful that they've reached out and have been inspirations to each other. That is so cool. Yeah. And he's quoted as saying, everyone has infinite possibilities. Yes. As I was doing some research on other wrestlers, maybe was there another wrestler with a similar disability? Or who are the wrestlers that are not able-bodied completely? I don't even know if I'm saying that right. But um, And please forgive us for not saying that right. We want to honor people and um, we often may not use the correct terminology, but... Um, at the heart of this episode, it's we want to honor people that are giving their complete heart and soul and energy to fighting in a sport when they perhaps do not have a full tool bag, you know, that everybody else has that is able-bodied. So I wanted to highlight one of the most famous wrestlers of all time. You have heard of him. His name is Futabayama. He was our 35th Yokozuna. And he, of course, is the legend before the legend of Hakaho. He has a very famous statue, a legend that other sumo wrestlers want to take a picture in front of his statue. It, he he kind of came from the old tradition of sumo wrestling when there were only two tournaments a year and only 11 days of tournament competition, which when you compare his record to Hakaho, you think, wow, he has the most consecutive wins in a row at 69. And he's still holding on to that. Mm-hmm. And he did that in the era of two tournaments in a year and only 11 days. Got it. He was so popular in that run that they changed the number of days that they wrestled and they added two more tournaments. So they had originally, when he very first started sumo, there were four tournaments a year. This was all during World War II and leading up into it. Okay. They went to two tournaments a year. That's when his rise or that's when his reign happened, uh, when he became Yokozuna. And then due to his sole popularity. They added two more days to make it 13 days of tournament battle. And then they added the two more tournaments back in. 15. Well, in another year, they moved it to 15 days. And then they added the two more tournaments. They were only doing two tournaments a year. Then they went back up to four. To four. So now we have six. Either because he was so popular or because the GSA was trying to get him to lose. Even Wikipedia says it's because people were tuning in to watch it and people were nuts over him. How many of Mm. these is he going to win in a row? And he finally lost, by the way, um, because he was fighting with dysentery. Uh, Oh. (laughs) But uh, and he won to or he lost to another Yokozuna. But he held on to that for three years. So that's why people were like, oh, my God, he's he's a legend. He was born Akiyoshi Sadaji in 1912. And 
his reign of Yokozuna was between 1937 and 45 when he re- finally retired. After he retired, you should know, he actually not after he retired, when he was Yokozuna, he started his own stable. So in 1941, he started his own stable called Futabayama. After he retired, it became the Tokitsukaze stable. So if you go to the Tokitsukaze stable today, over the door, you will say Futabayama and Tokitsukaze stable. Okay. So that's where we have the powerhouse of Tokitsukaze stable today is from him. So And who's in that stable today? Oh, Shodai and Yutakayama. That's who the oh. active wrestlers that are there uh, right now. And you might wonder, why am I talking about Futabayama? Mm-hmm. Just a little little backstory on him. He was the son of a fisherman, and his father died young. And when he was young, he had uh, – I was reading this also from the Japanese Wikipedia. So the American English one didn't have nearly as much information on him as the Japanese one. So there's a little bit of translation stuff that I'm working with, but – It looks like he had an accident when he was a little boy and he (laughs) he got a blow dart blown straight into his eye and he never really told anybody about it. And it affected his vision from a very young age, but Mm. no one knew about it. He didn't talk about it. So his father was also a fisherman. He would help his dad out at the shipping yards. There was also an incident where he was on a boat. A big wave came. He was like stranded at sea. And something happened with, uh, I think, his hand as well with the anchor of the, um, the anchor rope. And there was some sort of shipping boating accident as well as a child so he had wait 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 so you're telling me as a kid he got a blow dart in the eye eye. he never told anybody about he was blown overboard by a big wave and hurt his hand hand his right hand in an anchor yes what an unfortunate series of accidents exactly but he was (laughs) i know i know terrible they're so but he persevered this kid was like hardcore could handle just Tough pulled stuff. that blow dart right out of the eye. Well, What's I don't, the story behind the blow dart in the I eye? No, this all came out much later. Okay. But it wasn't even confirmed that he had eye any sort of eye injury at all. He never told anybody about it. And okay. his father died young. So he then had to take over taking care of family. And he also joined Sumo at 15. So he, of course, didn't want anybody to know that he might possibly have an issue with his body in any way. It was very high stakes for him to be able to take care of his family and to do well at sumo, which he did, and he did very well. He he was noted as a kid who could take harsh punishment, could take brutal keikos, and would not say anything about it. He was ready to jump back in the dojo at 4 a.m. the next morning. He was so hardcore about it. So the kid was like, I can handle anything. Not I mentioning a blow dart anybody. Out of my well, I don't know. He pulled it out of. His, I just know there's a blow dart incident. I don't know. There's like there's not a blow dart gun story, or documentary to to watch. There's just the Wikipedia. Okay. So anyway, so he was a tough kid. Yes. Now he retired in 1945. Only until after he retired did he ever mention that not only did he have like limited vision, he had no vision in his right eye and he had right hand 
issues with his, his hand on the right side never recovered from whatever that incident was as a child. He had learned how to do sumo in his unique way. And other wrestlers of the time were also interviewed. And maybe Akinomi, who was another, who was the Yokozuna who beat him. I'm not sure. I have to look at my notes. But they said that when they fought him, it's almost like he was looking at someone else. He was fighting in a way that nobody could understand. It was like he was looking somewhere else. And mm. they and it was noted he had like a cloudy eye and like a white star kind mm-hmm. of in the middle of it. Mm-hmm. So he was clearly, you know, not using his right eye. But nobody was asking about him. Nobody was questioning it. He was an amazing wrestler mm-hmm. of the time. They were like, I'm sure he's completely fully bodied, like fully abled. He's crushing it out there. But what they had noted with him specifically is this concept called Gono Sen, which is a concept in martial arts where the com- I'm reading this from Wikipedia, where the combatant takes the initiative in a fight after the opponent has already started an attack. It's that um, special moment right after that initial reta- attack that they respond in a way that's almost spiritual. It is so on another level of heightened they're being so keyed into something in a in a heightened way mm-hmm. that an able-bodied person can't possibly understand it. Are you saying that he would give way? No. Well, he would adjust and understand the tachi eye, which is where he won a lot of it, is is right in that moment. He, it was like no one could beat him because he was so far ahead and so spiritual about where he was and what he was looking at, what he was feeling. That it's almost like he had a different sense about him. And hmm. that's what took the other wrestlers down. It's like they couldn't even understand it. This gono sen is it's a mental state. It's a level of concentration that is that is assumed during combat. And it it's also said to be a harmonization of the very moment of, of attack. It's not just defense. It's just through repetitive training and using your focus, it like heightens you to another insane level. So that was one thing that put him on another level. And I would have to say that because of when you don't have all your senses about you, then you compensate and you pick up where you may lack in another area, and then it becomes heightened in another area. And for him, it seemed to benefit him incredibly. And th- I should not be comparing it to my dog, <laughs> but you know how Hugo, as he's gotten older, he has lost his hearing completely, but he can smell things like more than he ever could before. Um his senses have changed because he lacks in one. So I think with a lot of people where they lose some some aspect of their physical body, they gain it by compensating somewhere else in a way that nobody who is able-bodied understands. Did anybody ever find out how much of his vision he retained? After he retired, he said none in his right eye. So, But he had one eye. He had his left side. So he left. could see out of one eye, but not yes. the other. Okay. Yes. It's an interesting idea in martial arts. It's kind of that spiritual Mm -hmm. energy. People don't always talk about it with sumo, but it's interesting to see that the number one, like most one of the most famous yokozunas of all time, um, used this because he was compensating for the loss on the right side. 
And maybe in similar in a similar fashion with the wrestler who has one arm, the other side, it's almost like wrestlers came in and being like this guy with probably expected this guy to lose or to be weak on that side that didn't have the arm. But he's not. He knew what his tricks were. He knew how to he knew the advantages he had, but to never underestimate what was coming from that other side mm -hmm. that appeared like it was going to be weaker. Mm -hmm. And that's the same thing with Futabayama. Right. Yeah. You yeah. would you would assume that he's going to be weaker on that side, but he's not. Yeah. Here I am. <laughs> I'm at the microphone. I'm like covering one eye to see how much I can still see. And you, yeah, you, you lose a lot of the periphery on that side. But where you make up for it is in how you feel, maybe. Yeah, maybe. Or with your other side. Maybe. He's, it was said that his Uwatanage was to be feared. So he knew how to grab somebody and mm -hmm. throw them <laughs> so quickly. Mm -hmm. They just, uh, they were just toast. Yeah. And he had an extremely fierce tachiai. That's where he usually won the battle is right there. I mean, that is kind of the concept of sumo, but like yeah. to another degree, yeah. his tachiai was next level. He countered really well to any initial attack faster and more keenly than anybody else did. Yeah. He was... Interviewed in 1950, you can actually watch it. And I don't understand Japanese, but it's just nice to see him speak and be like, this is the Yokozuna speaking. He said about his tachiai, he didn't take a lot of, didn't make a lot of extra movements. He just went in and observed and executed. So there wasn't a lot of extra trying this or trying that. He yeah, just probably. went in immediately and yep. just felt it. And then so like split second made the right decision. Kind of like when you watch Hakaho, mm -hmm. he has a million ideas in his brain that he can execute in any given moment when he's presented with whatever picture that is physically. He just does it. Yeah. And I think that's the same thing about him. Yeah, it he's, sounds very similar. He said he he developed that because he lacked sight in one eye. His left hand throws defied common sense, other wrestlers said. And it was just so fast. He could get so deep so quickly mm -hmm. um, that he crushed everyone from the left hand side. A lot of other wrestlers said that when they fought him, they felt like they were fighting a divine spirit. Because partly because his gaze was off. <laughs> well, you're looking at someone with a white star in their eye. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. He's just really interesting. A tough kid. He grew up to be one of the greatest of all times, and no one really knew what he was fighting with. Do you have any more info on the hand injury? Like, could he grip things with that hand or not? Surely people would have noticed if he couldn't grip things with that hand. Yeah. I mean, it was a left hand injury. He had use of his hand, but I think it affected probably the strength and how well he used it. That's why the left hand side was so fierce, is that if he got in, which he consistently did, yeah. and he was so good with that left-hand side, you don't need the right hand as much. <laughs> Got it. So, I mean, if you watch videos of him, you see he uses both hands. It's not like his hands were useless. Right. But uh, it definitely was something that he had to deal with from a very early age, this injury. Interesting. Well, here's a fun fact. <laughs> so I love this one. He joined a cult after... <laughs> oh, after he left Sumo <laughs> and he was arrested. It was really, really fascinating. It had to do with after the war and like this is in 1947. So in 45, he retired. 47, he was arrested for being part of this cult. But there was food rationing 
And for some reason, he got roped into some sort of cult. I can't remember what the cult was about. Some sort of cult where they were hoarding rice and things like that. And he eventually got out of the cult. But (laughs) Got it. He ended up in cult. Yeah, he died in uh, 1968. Interesting. I rambled on about him. Sorry. Well, Fusei, the guy that inspired Taranafuji... Uh, is also quoted as saying, sumo is not a sport in which you only use your arms and feet. It's more important to know how to use your body. It seems like Futabayama is also learning to use his body in a very different way. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and Hakaho talks about that. Have you watched the seven-hour documentary? No, I do not have seven hours. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I'm making. I'm slowly making my way through it, but he... He talks a lot about that as well, like how his body is so different from so many other sumo wrestlers because of how it gives way and how soft it is. And uh, it just kind of ripples, like no matter what comes at him, his his body just responds. It's an interesting watch because he considers an himself... concept too is your hands, you know, grab things. It's so tactile. Yeah. But yeah, you... You have all your senses. You have your whole body. So sumo, yeah, is not just all feet and all hands or strength of your hands and arms and upper body. It's the whole body. It's the mind as well. Yeah. And uh, when you set your mind to something, no matter what body you have, whatever body you have been given, you can achieve incredible, incredible things. Yeah. Yeah. Agreed. Well, before I go on to a few other things related uh, to people with disabilities, first, I think we all need to know the ASL sign for sumo. Oh, yes. What is it? It is if you hold your hand straight out in front of you, palms forward, and you make pushing motions straight forward, that is like little pushes. That is the ASL sign. Suryashi? Yes. That is the ASL sign for sumo. Oh. And the reason I know this is because there's a really great TV show online produced by Joel Barish. You can look him up. B-A-R-I-S-H. Who is deaf. And he travels around the world and makes ASL programming for people. And he does one in a sumo heya. He went to actually Terunofuji's heya. You can see Terunofuji when he's really young. Kaisei, you see him there. And he uh, sat down and has a conversation with Haramafuji, who has a deaf brother. Oh. Yeah. I thoroughly enjoyed watching the episode because you get a whole... Does Haramafuji sign? We don't get to see Haramafuji sign. We get to see his brother sign. His brother on his iPhone sign. So you know he's quite capable of it. But for some reason, he's speaking through an interpreter instead. Um, He might do a few signs right at the end. Um, Yeah. Well, I mean, there's different um, sign languages depending on where you are. English sign well, language. Well, yeah, but and... this guy Joel was doing ASL at, with his brother, who's in Mongolia, and they were understanding each other oh, via the phone. That's yeah, so, cool. so the point was they were sharing a universal language, oh, a that's sign beautiful. language. Yes, I thought it was really great too. And I also think you need to know a few other details in terms of disabilities and specifically what the JSA is doing to outreach to more people with disabilities. The JSA did an event in 2016 and 2017 called 
Ozumo Beyond 2020. And it was kind of a lead up to the Olympics in which they opened up the arena to English speakers and to people with disabilities and offered more explanation about sumo. They cleared like the sand seats and put people in wheelchairs in the sand seats. They handed out programs in Braille. They had all sorts of interpreters around to explain sumo and what was happening in sumo. So they had English translation. They had all of this interpretation going on around a sumo event. They did it at least two years in a row. They might have done it more, but the more often than that. But the uh, I just saw those two years written about. Um, and it was really cool. I, I want think. more of that. I do too. I want more of I want more sign language in every bit of programming. Absolutely. I feel like we as a world can be so much more inclusive if we just think think about it. Think about how how difficult it is to get into yeah. probably on a wheelchair, get into the Koka Gikan. Yeah. So it's not an impossible thing, you know, to yeah. to make the world a better place by sharing to just Make things easier for people. Yeah. Give them access. And just seeing just seeing that article, reading a little bit about, you know, that event that happened, it really made me sit and wonder, okay, how many wheelchair seats are there at the Kokukikan? And there are only eight right now. Hmm. There, uh, there could be more in the future. I mean, people, there's elevators to get people up and down and around, but we could do a better job at yeah. access. Absolutely. Yeah. There's very little info out there on any current sumo wrestler that's fighting with any sort of disability. I mean, hell, they don't even mention when they're injured. Well, exactly. That was my other thought is they all are dealing with pretty major injuries all the time. But, but they're certainly not going to tell anybody about it. No, they don't tell anybody about those even. So they're not going to tell anybody if, if um, you know, they're really struggling with something physically. That said... You know, you talked about eyesight earlier, and there are some current sumo wrestlers who have very low vision. And I want to say first, there are I, there seems to be more wrestlers who are, you know, fighting with corrective lenses in place and things like that. But I found evidence of three sumo wrestlers who have have pretty poor eyesight and are still wrestling anyway. We've got Akiseyama. Yeah. Who uh, had in 2010, he had some sort of uh, corrective eye surgery because I and, and it's really hard to tell exactly what the issue was. Perhaps a detached retina for what whatever happened. He couldn't see distances in the ring at all. Oh, wow. Just couldn't tell if a person was close or if a person was far away. So he had surgery. It didn't completely fix the issue, but it made it much, much better. He's still fighting with very poor eyesight today. And a broken jaw. <laughs> yeah, was fighting with a broken jaw. So there's one, Akiseyama. Nishikigi, remember him? Oh, yeah. He, he has, has tiny little... Oh, like uh, ye old Englandy glasses. Well, they're, all they're the tiny. sumo wrestlers they, have the glasses, glasses that are like, too small for their face. All of them do, right? Maybe all... that's just the size of their face. I think so. The, the but... fact that they choose tiny glasses. Yes, but he has extremely poor vision and so bad that he will often put his glasses back on right after a fight if he's going to do an interview with anyone. Like someone must carry his glasses around. So he puts them right back on post-interview so that he can... 
see the screen for the replay or see the person that's going to be interviewing him. And he's also, he's stated that his eyesight is so poor that he can't see the fans in the stadium what? at all. And it actually helps him from getting nervous because he deals with major nerves. Interesting. So he's got some really poor vision. He can't see distance. And Sada Naomi also has some sort of chronic disease of the cornea that limits his vision. And in wow. order to avoid, there's some risky surgery that he could do to fix it. But in order to avoid that right now, he wears these special hard contacts every night that dramatically improve his vision for the following day. So there's three wrestlers right there who are dealing with some pretty severe eyesight issues. Wow. And, and I, they're all amazing. Yes, they are. They have figured out how to fight without having perfect solid vision. Yes, exactly. And when I read about these guys, it made me curious about what sports are in the Paralympics. Mm-hmm. And so I looked those up and and the two wrestling sports that are in the Paralympics are judo and taekwondo. In judo, all of the athletes they have to have they can only have 10% of their vision remaining or wow. their visual field restricted to 20 degrees. So there are some blind competitors, there are some deaf competitors. They've got judges signaling them with a tap if they ever get near the end of the ring, right? The right. edge of the ring. But there are definitely people doing judo and taekwondo who are blind, who are doing deaf, who are uh, people who have missing hands, mm-hmm. things like that in taekwondo. There's nobody in sumo that's dealing with that kind of disability that we know of, but they are dealing with some very poor eyesight. Yeah. And and probably a lot of other things, too. Yeah. So they are warriors. Speaking, well, speaking of other things, let's, let's do say Takamisakari has said that his pre-bout rituals, he created them in order to overcome extreme fear. Yeah. So there's some sort of anxiety issue there that he's dealing with, mm-hmm. and he's... He has created some sort of ritual to get him past that fear. And we love so him for we it. We absolutely we love him love for it. him for it. And, and it sounds like some issues have come up with him speaking in front of crowds and things like that. Yeah. So he might deal with some social anxiety. And so there are people struggling with issues like that in the sumo world that, you know, you're not going to find anything written about that. Right. You might get a little comment in an interview here and there, and you kind of have to put two and two together. They they are doing incredible sports, but they're struggling. Some of them are struggling with injury, with eyesight, with anxiety, and with a host of and other diabetes. Things. Like who knows? There's a lot of things. Dysentery, <laughs> dysentery. <laughs> he still fought though. God bless him. Did lose, but I don't know. These people are such epic champions. Yeah. And I guess to wrap this up, we just wanted to celebrate. Paralympians, watch watch the Paralympics. I really am going to try to watch some. Let's give them all some focus. And people famous, people not famous, like support people who are doing sports um, that are not able-bodied 100%. And let's just give people some love. Yeah. And, and try to make the sumo world and bring this to all types of people and so that they can love it, know about it, and the whole world of sports can be more inclusive. Ditto. 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 And watch the boys sing it. Oh, God. Yeah. Yeah. <sighs> I know what I'm going to do next is go watch Onosho. 
Yeah. And I'm going to reach out to Konishki and be like, what are the chances that you and I could do a duet? <laughs> and I'll make a music video. I have a green screen. Up, we will figure we out will how to make it happen. figure out how because all I want to do is sing with a sumo wrestler. Wait, can I be in it too? Well, you could do a different song. Oh, okay. Because we'd have to find a trio. There's no trio songs out there? There's got to be. Tell me there's a pop trio. We've got to find some Jonas Brothers song or something that we can do. Jonas Brothers. <laughs> in sync? I don't know. We'll find something. Yeah, we'll find something. Yes. But... All right. Until that's then. It. That's it for this week at Sumo Kaboom. Thank you guys so much. Thank you, Dan, our second monthly contributor. Yeah, you Dan. are the man of my dreams, Dan. I love you. Dan, you're the man. I'm going to come up with some sort of bad poem for you over the next week and read it on air next Thank time. Thank you, Dan. And shout out to Malcolm Morrison, who sent a sumo pug a uh, piece of pottery that he had made with his own hands for my birthday. And uh, uh, we'll share some of his artwork online this week. But uh, thank you. And it was the best. All right. Until next time. Sayonara. See you later. Bye.